Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Let's continue to worship God in prayer this morning. Holy God, we celebrate that there is none like you this morning. That you are awesome in power. You are our healer. You're our comforter and our friend. And because you are for us, we know that there is no weapon of the enemy that can stand against us. And so this morning we ask that you give us courage and strength to turn our eyes to Jesus again this morning, to hear from your word about your call in our lives. Unite us together as your people in this place to live life as light in the world, to share the goodness of your love with those who are lost and hurting and in such desperate need of good news in their lives. Remind us this morning, God, that because you are for us, you have also called us, like Jesus, to be for the world. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like to add a special welcome to you this morning. If you're visiting with us, uh, we would love to get to know you better. One of the ways you can help us to do that is you can fill out a Connect card that's in the seat back in front of you. Uh, if you'd be willing to turn it in to me or to Pastor Dick or to someone at our Welcome Center in the lobby, uh, we have a small gift to give you just as our way of saying thank you for coming out to church this morning. But most importantly, it's just a way for us to get to meet you personally, and we'd love to find out a little bit more about you, what brings you out to church this morning. We are in week three of a series that we're calling Four. And we are reminded by the good news message of Scripture that because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross and because God raised him from the dead, we can have confidence that God is not against us, but that God is for us. That's why he sent his son, is to prove that he is for us. And part of what it means to be a, a, a church, part of what it means to be a part of a faith community this morning is that we are also reminded that God has invited us to be surrounded by other people who are for us as well. And then also that means that God has created you and me to be people who are for others. In this series, we've introduced an initiative that we're calling Hashtag for Sumner, uh, by which we're suggesting that we need to come together in some creative new ways as a faith community to demonstrate to our community around us that we are for them, that we are not against them. We're for our community. We're for our schools and our teachers. We're for our businesses and the people who work to make a living here in our community. We are for the advancement and the flourishing of our neighbors and our coworkers and our friends. We want to come up with some creative ways that we can get connected with our community and let them know that this good news message of Jesus means that we are for them and we are not against them. Now, we're focusing on Sumner because that's where our church building is, right? We're planted here in Sumner. But the idea goes with you wherever you go. We're not just for Sumner. We're for Puyallup and Ording and Bonnie Lake and Auburn and, and East Pierce County. We're, we're for the whole world because God is for the world. We are for the world as well. The, the bottom line of this whole series is that God has called us to be for people. One of the ways that we are all ready for Sumner here at Faith Covenant Church is that we have an ongoing partnership with the Sumner Community Food Bank. Uh, we have several people who sit on the board, and we have volunteers who, who work in the food bank during the week. And last week, if you were here, we invited people to take a few stickers that say hashtag for Sumner on them and buy some food that's on the list. You maybe saw the bin on your way in and bring some food back to the church this morning with the stickers on there. Just a simple way that we can participate in being for our community. 
the reality is that that bin is out there in our lobby every week. And so if you didn't bring food in this week, any week you can come in during the week or on Sunday, and we're always collecting food to share with those in need in our community. And, and it's a great way to partner with the Sumner Community Food Bank and the people who serve there to let them know that we're supporting what they're doing and we participate in making a difference to the people in our community. If you go to the Sumner Food Bank website, you'll see that they have volunteering opportunities as well. They have different needs throughout the week. Uh, usually you have to be available during the week. Uh, but if you are available during the week and you're looking for a way to get connected in our community, this is an immediate and a simple way that you can volunteer. They have morning shifts and they have afternoon shifts. So if you're looking for a way to demonstrate that you are for our community, we encourage you to go to their website and check out the opportunities they have for volunteering at the food bank. But again, the bottom line point of all of this is we are trying to find ways to demonstrate, to live out our calling as disciples of Jesus, to show that we are for people and for our community. In fact, this morning, I'd like to add to that idea that we believe that God has created us to be for other people. It's in you to love other people. The Bible teaches us that, that the image of a good and a generous God was imprinted on our very souls when he made us in his image. There's a tendency, of course, for us to drift towards selfishness and greed in our lives. We all struggle with that, that, that sense of selfishness. But whenever we say yes to serving someone else, to helping someone in the name of Jesus, to, to love someone because God loves them, something is sparked in us that is, a, that is a seed of God's creative work in our lives, a part of his design for what it means for us to be human and to be created in God's image. That same desire that's in you and that's in me to be in relationship with people who know us and love us, to belong in community exists in everyone around you. God put it there, and God wants you and me to experience something that is much bigger in life, something that is perhaps more than we thought of or dreamed before by, by stepping out and trusting him that if we're willing to give generously of our time, talent, and treasure to serve other people in Jesus' name, we can discover so much more about the purpose and meaning in life than maybe we have experienced before. Maybe that's kind of what Jesus was explaining and hoping that his disciples would uh, understand that day when he was confronted by the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, those professional religious people, the perps, <laughs> right? We've been calling them. Uh, and they were trying to test him and, and, and get him off track. And, and they're saying, okay, teacher, which of the, all of the commandments in the Old Testament is the greatest commandment? Right? And in essence, Jesus says the greatest commandment in Scripture is simply to love God. But there's a second command that, that goes hand in hand with that, and that's to love your neighbor as yourself. In fact, Jesus was kind of sharing that day that, that you can't really love God in the way God has intended if you're not also intentionally focused on loving your neighbor who's right next to you. Jesus said it this way in Mark 12, verses 29 to 31. The most important one, the most important command, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. So for, for us, 
Today, all these years later, from when Jesus gave this new command to to love the people around us, what does it mean for us to truly love our neighbors as followers of Jesus? What if how we love God really did affect how we loved and lived in relationship with our literal neighbors? What would it look like if the people here at Faith Covenant Church had a reputation for genuinely being for our neighbors in our neighborhoods and in our community and around East Pierce County? Because if there's one group of people in our community that should lead the charge for being for people, shouldn't it be the followers of Jesus? Shouldn't it be the church of Jesus Christ that has a reputation of being for other people? Because we're the ones who know the love and the grace that God has shown us through Jesus himself. We should be a living demonstration of the same love that God has shown us through his son, Jesus. Now, we've suggested in this series that there are three things that we can begin to do, uh, that we can come together to share some creative ideas on how we can get connected and before our community. Number one is that we can create common ground, uh, that, that often the church is known for what we're against rather than what we're for, but there's a lot of things that we share in common. Uh, and, and if we can find those places of shared values with our community and our culture, that can create some common ground where, where we're really not all that different. We, we want some of the same things, and if we can find that common ground, then that can lead to conversations, and, and we can begin to get to know one another and hear people's stories and share our stories as well. And, and as we share stories, we can share our story of where God has shown up in our life and how we've been blessed by our relationship with Jesus, and we can create in the process great connections where we're actually building trusting relationships with people. And, and, and then we believe that if we're doing these things to simply show people that we are for them and we care about them and we love them, that the Spirit of God can work on people's hearts to transform their hearts, to soften them to the good news message, and that someday they too may say yes to Jesus. Last week we talked about this idea of creating common ground, and, and today I want to talk a little bit more about number two and how we begin to open our stories through creating good conversations. So the, the opening question then is, why, why are conversations important? Why is it important that we're, we're able to talk to people about our lives and, and at some point, if God opens the door, our own faith? And, and, and I'd like to suggest, because in order for people to know that God is for them, they not only need to experience God's love for them practically, but they also need to hear the good news message that God is for them. I mean, the Apostle Paul in his letter to the church in Rome talked about how this new reality in Christ is that anyone, whether Jew or Gentile, who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's the good news message, right? Anyone now, because of what Christ has done, who calls on the name of the Lord is free to be saved. There's nothing you can do to purchase it. You can't buy it. You can't be good enough. All you have to do is call on the name of the Lord, recognizing your need for his mercy and your grace. In, his li- in your life. But this also means there's a, a corollary, corollary that's directly related to our lives and impacts our understanding of what it means for us to follow Jesus as his disciples. I want to read for you Romans 10, verses 11 through 15. We're going to do the contemporary English version this morning. We'll have it on the screen for you because I love the way it was worded in, in that version. But Paul says, beginning in verse 11 of chapter 10, the scriptures say that no one who has faith will be disappointed. No matter if that person is a Jew or a Gentile, there's only one Lord, and he is generous to everyone who asks for his help, 
All who call out to the Lord will be saved. See, that's the good news message. All who call on the Lord will be saved. It doesn't matter if you're an insider, you're an outsider. Everyone has free access to the grace of God that comes through Jesus Christ. But then Paul goes on to talk to the church in Rome in verse 14 by saying, how can people have faith in the Lord and ask him to save them if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear unless someone tells them? And how can anyone tell them without being sent by the Lord? The scriptures say it's a beautiful sight to see even the feet of someone coming to preach the good news. Now you go, wait a minute, wait a minute, preaching? <laughs> I'm not a preacher. <laughs> that's your job, Kurt. You're, you're the pastor. You're the preacher. This whole idea of preaching, that, that's a little intimidating. Uh, I, I'm no preacher. But I, I want to challenge us on that a little bit. I, yes, there is a call for some of us to preach the word publicly. Uh, I, I believe we have a high view of preaching here at Faith Covenant Church, and we value what pastors bring in that role. But I think there's a broader sense in Scripture as well that, that preaching, which simply means proclaiming, in a broader sense, simply means to speak about the good news message, to tell people about the message. And in that sense, I think all of us as followers of Jesus are called to share, to speak about the good news of Jesus in our own lives as well. See, people need to see God's love in action, but they also need to hear the good news message so they understand how that loving action comes directly from the person and the gift of Jesus. Now, we've all seen negative examples, I'm sure. I went to college at Arizona State University, and you know this is one of the large universities in the country. We had like some 60,000 students when I was there. And of course, every week, we'd have these street preachers that would come onto campus, and they would preach this, you know, heaven or hell, turn or burn kind of caustic message, right? And they, and they would be antagonistic, and they would get into arguments with people, and people would get up in their faces, and oh, as a Christian, I would sit there, and I'd be so embarrassed, that this was somehow a representation of the good news message of Jesus? I would suggest they likely turn more people off to Jesus than enlightening to the good news of the gospel. Not because their message was untrue, but because their method was unloving. Not because their message was untrue, but because their method was unloving. Are there times in God's prophetic word that it comes as a challenge and, and a, a chastisement to people? Yes. I, I think if you look in scripture, you'd have to say that does happen. But more often than not, I would challenge you, if you look through the Bible, those words of chastisement almost always come first and foremost to God's people who've gotten off track in their relationship to God, not the people who, who aren't following God or, or who have never heard about God. If you look in the New Testament, one of the most prophetic books in the New Testament might be the book of Revelation, right? And you go and you look in the, the early part of the book of Revelation, and you see seven letters to seven churches because all of these churches were off track in their relationship with Jesus. And the Holy Spirit came to say, you got to get your act together. See, the chastisement was to God's people who said they, they already knew the good news, but they weren't living out the gospel message in their lives. In Jesus and in the teachings of the apostles in the New Testament, we see that the prophetic message, the, the wider message of the New Testament is that, is that the kingdom of God in Jesus Christ comes first and foremost to remind us that God is for us and not against us. And while we see in the text of Romans today that the 
Apostle Paul acknowledges that each person has to make a personal choice to accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior in order for them to become a Christian. We know that that's an essential part of faith. The onus is placed first on those who are already Christians to be able to share the good news with people who've never heard it so they even have the option of making that choice. If they've never heard it, how can we expect them to have ever made the choice? Now, we ended last week's message by saying something very powerful happens when people who've said no to the church realize that the church is still saying yes to them. Something very powerful happens when people who have said no to the church realize that the church is still saying yes to them. And what happens, I'd suggest, is that God begins to soften their heart to the gospel and opens the door for the good news message of Jesus to sink in so that they may be able to consider that, hey, maybe they didn't really fully understand before. Maybe there's more to this than I realized. And they can begin to be on a journey of faith towards Jesus, even if they haven't yet said yes to him. So creating these common experience or common ground experiences is the first step in letting people know that we're for them, but then taking advantage of those opportunities to enter into good conversations is really the next step, because it's in the context of conversations, of sharing our stories, that we have the opportunity to tell what God has done for us and to share the good news of Jesus in our own lives. So if I've convinced you that this is important and that this is a part of Jesus' call on our lives as Christians, uh, the next question is, well, how do we go about creating good conversations? And and I'd suggest that 1 Peter 3, verse 15 gives us some very simple uh, bullet point outline things that we can follow. So in, in 1 Peter 3, verse 15, he says, but in your hearts, set aside Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. I mean, that's pretty simple and straightforward, isn't it? Three easy steps to having a conversation with somebody who doesn't go to church or who doesn't know Jesus. Step one, in your hearts, set aside Christ as Lord. You see, it starts always with our own discipleship to Jesus. That verse says that, What is central to the story of every Christ follower is that we first and foremost have taken the time to ensure that we have set aside Christ in our hearts as our Lord and our Savior. That's the true heart of the matter. I mean, all of this idea of talking about being for our community and being for others is about being disciples of Jesus. When you set aside Christ as Lord in your heart, it makes a difference I'd suggest when you set aside Christ as Lord in your heart, it makes you different. You handle your finances differently. You begin to handle your relationships differently. You approach your work and your career differently. You begin to view your calendar differently. You begin to view your very purpose here on earth differently. See, when we set aside Christ as Lord in our hearts, his story becomes our story. So the first step in being for others is to set aside Christ as Lord in our hearts. The challenge is, though, many of us struggle at times to learn how to live this calling in our lives. Amen? I mean, we struggle with this lordship issue, don't we? As Christians, we can say we believe in Jesus. We've accepted him as our Lord and Savior. But but how often do we live under his lordship in our lives? 
And I, and I can confess to you, as a pastor, I struggle with this as, as well. I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life, but how many times I can tell you, I pull the control back. I take the reins because I want to make the decisions, because I want to be in charge of my life. And even so I give verbal assent to Jesus being my Lord, but still I'm the one who stays in control of the decisions in my life. How about you this morning? If you were to be honest with yourself, I'm not going to ask anybody to raise hands or give a confession. If you were to be honest with yourself right now, who's the Lord of your life this morning? Who's the, the master or the controller of your life? Who's the one in charge and calling the shots and making the decisions? Is it Jesus? Are you following Jesus at that level? Or, or are you saying yes to Jesus, but staying in charge and making all the decisions yourself? Peter is reminding us that the first step of being for our community and being for others is that we have to make sure that we're starting with the priority of making Jesus the Lord of our lives because it's his mission and his call and it's his love that we share with others. So if we haven't gotten that priority straight, then all of the other things don't work the way that they're supposed to. This is because being for others isn't just some program of the church. It's not some gimmicky strategy to, to, to get more butts in seats and to grow the church. This is a part of the lifestyle that we believe Jesus has called us to live as his disciples. If we're truly Jesus' disciples, then it means we have chosen to allow him to be the Lord of our lives. And Jesus is the one who calls his disciples to go into all the world to make other disciples. We know this from the beginning, but it's so hard for us to live it out in practical terms. If we don't start with his lordship in our lives, though, then we get off track in all the other areas of our life. So who's the Lord of your life this morning? Step two Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. See, we, we don't have to go out and preach on a street corner. That's, that's not what God calls most of us to do. We simply have to be prepared to share our story if somebody asks. That's what Peter's saying. You don't even have to go force a conversation. He's simply saying, go out and love people. And along the way, people are going to see something's different about you. And pretty soon, they're going to ask, go, hey, what's different about you? What's going on in your life? And at that point, you have an opportunity. The question is, are you prepared to be able to take advantage of that opportunity and simply share the good news that God has given in your life? See, we share our journey of faith with Jesus when God creates the opportunity. When there's a sense that we are truly for others, they're going to wonder what makes us different from other people, and they're going to be prompted to want to engage us in more conversation and to talk about what it is that is in our life that is different, which then leads to the question, how do we, how do we then share our story? And there's a really simple, basic outline. Uh, you know, my life before I committed to Jesus, before I accepted him as my Lord, how I, I found relationship uh, back with God through Jesus and, and what my life has been like since then, before, during, and after. It's a simple three-step outline. Any of us could take the time, if we're willing, to kind of plot out what is your personal story and how has God shaped your life to this point? Your life doesn't have to be all rainbows and cupcakes in order to have a testimony. 
In fact, being real about your ongoing challenges of, of your journey is just as important as sharing how God has rescued you and saved you and transformed you. The point is to keep it real and just share your story because people are looking for authenticity and real people. And too often, I think they see us as Christians as being fake, phony, and inauthentic doesn't mean we don't have problems. In fact, our own experience of brokenness and pain is the very part of our story that connects with people where they're at in their lives. We also need to be willing to ask God to give us those opportunities to share our story. If we feel confident that we've been prepared and, and we know how we want to share our story, then we have to ask God, God, give me an opportunity to speak into somebody's life, to share this good news with them. That's why we need to take time to prepare our hearts and our minds so that when God does open the door for an opportunity, we can begin to step in. Now, I think it's also important to talk about how we need to help each other with this, right? Christianity is a team sport where everybody plays, but, but we need the team to surround us. You might not be ready to go out today and share your story because you haven't really been equipped or, 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 or been prepared. And that's one of the things that I think we as a, as a church, as an organization together, as a community together can get better at. We can start to figure out how do we prepare ourselves and how do we help one another to imagine what it would it look like for me to live this out in my own life. Part of being successful in reaching out to our community is that we are prepared to do that together. Uh, I remember last year when we launched our new vision and mission as a community, and we talked about how we feel God was leading us to reach out to people who don't know Jesus and who are far from God, and we did some demographic research, and we realized that in a 15-mile in a diameter or a 7.5-mile radius right around our church, there are some 230-plus thousand people who don't go to church and likely don't know Jesus. I mean, that's a pretty big mission field right here in our own community. And, and, and as we began to realize the, the extent of the need, I, I, some of the people began to go, well, yes, that, that's great, but, but what about the people who are already here? What are we going to do for the people who are already here? And, and my answer was, well, we can't think about it as being mutually exclusive, right? We have to think about it being two sides of the same coin. If we're going to be successful as a faith community of reaching out to our community around us, then it's likely going to be you all who are going out into the community and sharing the good news. And so we've got to do a good job of developing the people who are here so that we can live this out together. We're not going to, you know, prop up the building and put it on wheels and drive it around the community. That's not what it means, Right? It means that you all are equipped and prepared to live this out in your lives so that we are the light and the salt that Jesus is sending into the world in our community. And I'd also like to suggest that in our current climate and culture, you have a better chance of being able to share the good news message with somebody in our community than I do, right? I'm one of those professional religious people, <laughs> If you want to shut down a conversation real quick, get to the point where you say, well, what do you do? <laughs> I'm a pastor. <laughs> Excuse my French, pastor. <laughs> right? We have an incredible opportunity because if we can demonstrate that we are real people living real lives, just like the people we're meeting, they're in desperate need to know that there is hope and that there is joy and love available through Jesus. But we have to, step three, Peter says, do this with gentleness and respect. We have to do it with gentleness and respect. We're called to share the good news message of Jesus, 
But because people are highly valued in God's eyes, we have to treat them with gentleness, respect, and care. We talked about this last week. You know, Jesus came to seek and to save the lost, he said. And we said too often we can take this term lost and we can label people as somehow a negative or a derogatory term. They're lost, but we're found, right? But, but if you look at Jesus' story, his parables of, of the shepherd who leaves the 99 to go after the one sheep or the, the woman who, who turns her house upside down to find the, the one coin that was lost, the, the term lost indicates a desire and a value for them, the owner that they're willing, the owner's willing to go seeking for that which was lost. So lost people are not less than, they're highly valuable and sought after by God. We also have to recognize that people in our culture have been deeply hurt and damaged by their experience of this world. We need to handle their hearts and their lives with tenderness and with care. We can't come with some beat-you-over-the-head gospel that says you're not living the way you're supposed to and therefore you have to change the way you're living because if you don't, God's not going to love you. You have to say, God loves you, and he doesn't like what you're experiencing, and what's been done to you is not fair or good, and there's a better way, and there's hope through the love of Jesus Christ. That's part of how we begin to demonstrate that we are for people. We have our own stories of pain and brokenness and hurt too, don't we? See, it's, it's our own story of God getting us through those, those moments of darkness and depression and pain and loss that become those places where we can have even a deeper common ground with people out there who are experiencing the very same things that we've lived through. Again, engaging with people who have said no to church, who have said no to Jesus, who may be far from God with gentleness and respect does not mean that we need to sacrifice our own convictions and beliefs and values. What I'd like to suggest this morning is that what it really means is that we are so convicted of the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ in our own lives that we don't need to be combative in our conversations with people who may disagree with us. We can love them with abandon because it's not going to impact our experience of Jesus at all. See, our job isn't to convince people. Our job is not to save people. That's the Holy Spirit's job. The Bible clearly teaches that God draws people to himself or not. We can't control that. Our job is simply to follow the command of Jesus to go into the world and to, to share the good news when God creates the opportunity. Today, we have a, another handout that we're going to give you on the way out. There are these simple cards that say, hashtag for Sumner. And on the back, there's some blank space, and it says... For you. Now you can take a card this morning and you can put it on your refrigerator at home. You can put it in your car on your dashboard just as a reminder that we're challenging ourselves to be for our community. Or, or you can take a whole stack of them and you can come up with creative ways that you could use these to demonstrate that you are for somebody in our community. Maybe you write a thank you card to one of our teachers this fall and you can put it in the card when you give them the thank you card. Or, or have you guys heard about the, the pay it backward thing where you go through the drive through at a fast food restaurant and you pay for somebody's meal behind you? right? You pay it backward. You could offer to pay for somebody's meal behind you and, and tell the teller, hey, give this to them. And it's simply a, a, a for Sumner and a for you anonymous gift. You know, wow, thank you. 
there's so many ways that I think if we begin to put our, our thinking caps on together, maybe you can come up with some creative ways. And if you come up with something, you can use the hashtag for Sumner and you can post it on Instagram or Facebook, or you can email us in the church. And we'd love to begin to just gather the ways that the Holy Spirit is prompting us to use some of these simple tools to get out into our community, to be for them, and hopefully create opportunities for us to have good conversations and share our stories in gentleness and respect. I'd like to wrap us up this morning with a, an invitation to prayer. There are three things that, that this passage from 1 Peter 3.15 can prompt us to pray. Now, now, you could consider praying through these in the morning. If you have a devotional time in the morning, you could kind of pray through them and allow it to set your heart for the day. Or you could carry them with you through the day. If you want to write them down this morning, you can. But we are also going to, to send them out this week. We're going to make them available through uh, Facebook and a, and a church email. So if you want to just listen for now, uh, you'll be receiving these prayers as, as prompts for you to set aside Christ as Lord in your life, to find opportunities to be for your community and share your story, and to love people in gentleness and respect. The first one, Jesus, how do you want me to serve someone in your name today? Jesus, how, how do you want me to serve someone in your name today. See, see, we're putting Jesus uh, on the throne. We're saying, how do you want me to serve someone today? We're not saying, what, what do I want to do? We're saying, Jesus, what do you want me to do? How can, how can you guide me to serve someone today? Here's the second one about being prepared and always having an answer to give. Jesus, let me be an example of your love and good news today so that someone can see your light and love in the world. Let me be an example of your love and your good news today so that someone, even just one person, might see a glimpse of your light and your love in the world. And then the third part about gentleness and respect. Jesus, if someone should ask, give me the strength and the grace to share the good news message with others in a way that communicates gentleness and respect for them. If someone should ask, give me the strength and the grace to share the good news message with others in a way that communicates your gentleness and respect for them. Men and women, I believe that if we genuinely pray these prayers to God, God's going to show up and he is going to open those doors and he's going to answer our prayers and use us to be light in the darkness, to be hope in a broken world, to be a healing balm for those who are in desperate need of good news in their lives. And so if you're willing to pray these prayers together in the days and the weeks ahead. Let's set aside Christ as Lord in our lives. Let's follow him into the world that he came to save. And let's demonstrate that we are willing to be for our community as his disciples. Amen? Let's pray.